Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. everyone this is the bless you boys podcast blessyouboys.com is your home for all things detroit tigers baseball on the sb nation platform i'm the managing editor of blessyouboys.com brandon day with me our assistant editor and writer ashley mclennan ashley it's been a little while how are we doing Brandon, is this the first time we've recorded since you took over as managing editor it can't be no 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 we did a bunch in the spring and everything we were going good but yeah like as usual like in the summer it just it just becomes so dang impossible to get together on the right time sounded so fancy managing Mm -hmm. editor Ooh la la well i don't always say that i don't know just Just threw it out there this time no i liked it it's very official sounding makes you sound like smart and like capable well done yep i need uh need all the help i can get on that front you know the way yeah. it goes so yeah, yeah. so here we are it uh was the most interesting and most fun tiger season maybe since like 2013 even though that one ended up terrible because even you know even 2014 20- there was still postseason even though it was really disappointing and like yeah. nelson cruz did his nelson cruzy stuff with the orioles that year do you remember that oh yeah i yeah. definitely do and uh but even then like it was like the shine was off like you know coming down the stretch that season we were all just sort of like i don't know if they've got it you know they don't well i mean it did feel like if they they weren't going to do it in 2013 they weren't going to do it you know like with that lineup and that structure like 2012 was so good and they made it to the world series but then it just got better like 2013 was the year yeah and that was that's the thing right like the 2013 tigers were a team built to win the world series yep that was the one lineup i think i I've ever seen in any like I don't think I've seen that good of pitching depth in a team since then like yeah. that good of a one through five are you kidding me and then I look at it and I'm like that was supposed to be the raise this year like maybe not that pitching depth right but they did everything yeah. I think they could way better the bullpen of course <laughs> with the exception of being able to avoid injuries to like Tyler Glass now and like they picked up Nelson Cruz and they did all those things and they were a team that was like meant to plow through right to the World Series and then effing Boston man what the yep. heck Boston just ruining lives at Fenway in the postseason I will never forgive yeah Boston can just you know be terrible for like a year or two and, and then they're just right back you know it just uh they and you know they've gone through like three general managers in the past seven or eight years including Dombrowski and uh still have two titles not <laughs> to mention like managerial shuffles right because Cora was out for the yep. year when he was banned and um they still manage I think a lot of people considered that this was going to be a rebuild year for them and instead they turn around and they're like aha just kidding yep. um and just tore through it and I thought like there was a really good opportunity for them to 
you know, genuinely make it all the way. And I, but then they bust out, you know, Chris sale, like rolls back into good form late. And it's like, Oh, here we go. So yeah. You know, when you don't have a dog in the fight, like, you know, there's a lot of discussion about like who you're going to root for and all that. And I, I, you know, I can root for the Rays and maybe I can root for whatever national league team is out there, but I just, I, the one team I have to like go through it to realize like which team I just can't stand. And it's always Boston. Like I just cannot, tolerate Boston being good every year like I don't even the Yankees don't even phase me you know like it's fine the Yankees are always always gonna be a problem that's the way it is but Boston is infuriating well I think that's the thing right the Yankees are are so frustrating and dislikable because they buy everything right they buy their way to to good depth they buy their way to things as opposed to being genuinely hateable yeah it's just that you're kind of like oh those jerks they're like the Dodgers right it's the same kind of context is that like they're just gonna throw money at whatever their problem is and hope that that like patches the hole in the dike um and it just didn't do it for either of those teams this year which is yep. kind of fascinating um but you're right i think we've built up this like legacy of yankees hate across all other baseball teams mm-hmm. and i think that the red Sox avoided that for a really long time because they lost they yeah. lost a lot until they won yep. and ever since they won that world series and you know the curse of the bambino ended and it was, you know, that big fever pitch moment at the end. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I, I think that we've seen a lot of teams go through that and become immensely dislikable in the follow-up to that. Like, it was the same story of the Houston Astros, who were huge underdogs and then went on and won the 2017 World Series. The Cubs, I think, to a certain extent, kind of went through that as well after winning in 2016. I think everybody except I'm sure, you know, National League Central fans of other teams like the Reds and the Pirates. I think everybody was rooting for the Cubs to win that year. Yeah. And when they did, it was just this amazing, beautiful thing. Bill Murray cried. Like, who didn't love every aspect of that? And then suddenly they were like, you know, skimping on Chris Sale's playtime. And not Chris Sale, sorry, um, Chris Bryant, you know. Yeah. Just sale but like they became like these villains steadily um you know over the course of a couple years and i think that there's just something to that where these underdog teams win and then suddenly nobody wants to root for them anymore even though that they were kind of the bandwagon jumpies of their particular year yeah it's cute one time but yeah when you keep coming back you know it's like the giants you know the giants never have really like never rubbed me the wrong way but they they just win too much you know it's just it's just too infuriating and then you see him come out with like you know the the carcass of like all these former stars and all of a sudden all these dudes are playing great again you know like brandon crawford having the best year of his career and evan longoria is good again it's like what the hell is going on here and uh yeah you you know you just can't tolerate it i think you know if it was a smaller smaller scale team maybe it would be all right like i don't really have anything against atlanta and i think like you kind of have to give it to them because they were just left for dead once ronald acuna jr got hurt yeah and you know, I mean, like, you know, be mad about the chop, be mad about all that. But, uh, but, you know, as far as the team, the team is likable. And uh, so in the end, it was sort of like, okay, but I didn't, I couldn't really muster like a ton of enthusiasm for this world series. And I, I well, think a lot I, of people I, kind of felt that way, you know, like it just kind of, maybe it was just that there were some really good series earlier, you know, there were, there were some seven, seven gamers and 
we saw some some pretty good battles and then yeah that last series like it was just like i, eh, I don't really like anybody <laughs> i watched the first two games of the world series in spite of myself like i honestly was just like i have no interest in this i don't care um but i love freddie freeman like i don't know how you can't like there's something just immensely likable about freddie freeman who like made it to the all-star game this year just because his son wanted to go yeah and like <laughs> there's just something so delightful about him and like seeing him get his ring was kind of rewarding and there are a couple guys on that team that have been around like at the danzy swansons of the world and yeah you eddie know. rosario you know yeah kind and of who had the most monstrous nlcs like yeah. my god eddie rosario but like i didn't care so i like watched the first two games on mute while i was reading which was like <laughs> i discovered the perfect way to watch baseball games because you can kind of like look up and see what's happening and like yeah. be in tune with it but unless you're recapping that's the way to go <laughs> I loved yeah. every oh, second. Yeah. but i don't think i watched a single game of the alcs i don't think i had i didn't have a horse in that race i was like yeah. i don't want either of these teams to win so i'm just not going to watch this i still watched it all because i don't like to let the baseball season go. And that, and that's really all it is. Like I'm watching all of it because, you know, I know, okay, you know, October 28th or 29th comes or whatever. I'm going to be like, Oh, baseball's gone. And then, you know, a few days later, I'm going to be like, Oh, thank God I can read books and watch movies again and yeah. like, go see people and do stuff. And <laughs> not be like, yeah, you're not tethered to, this. to the yeah. schedule of the baseball gods. Yeah. I mean, we're not, uh, not remotely paid well enough to, to function like beat writers, but for me, at least during the season, yeah, that, that it does feel like that. Like there's just no, no escape most of the time. So yeah. Yeah. That's all right though. But yeah. So, I mean, overall, like not a super inspiring postseason, but um I didn't didn't end up hating it. Um, we're getting close to award season. Um, yeah, they just announced. I mean, we're recording this on Monday night, but they just announced all of kind of the big award finalists. So yep. your Cy Young finalists, uh, your Rookie of the Year finalists. The Rays have two uh, finalists for AL Rookie of the Year, which is kind of bonkers. Yep, that just tells you, you know, the Rays just always doing it right. You know, that made the World well, Series last year, and then I... you know, and then they've got Randy Rosarena who's still yep. eligible, and then they call up the best prospect since. You know, I guess Otani probably. I guess it hasn't been that long. Yeah, but, uh, I think yeah, Wander there's Franco. a factor there that it just happened to coincide with the excitement of you know the Randy Rosarena era plus the Wander Franco call up. Um, but I think it's yeah, I think it's Randy Rosarena's year. I think you know. I hope so. I I would definitely like to see him see him get it. I mean, like just some of the things he did. Like I mean, stealing home. You know, oh the postseason God. is just bananas. Like just the fact that that happened alone is like, yeah, just just was just electric. So what a he's a fun player, definitely a fun player to watch. And the Tigers had a few guys who you know may have qualified. Like Casey Mize wasn't going to win it, but no, could have been in the list. And in my mind, yeah. should have gone. And I'd like to see kind of the votes, right? Yeah. Like I think they they give you the top three finalists, but there's others who get consideration. You end up seeing, I think, the breakdown. And I'd like to see what the breakdown is if he got any kind of votes from anybody mm-hmm. um, i think he, i think he did i mean i think i did see that he at least had a vote somewhere but um you know the thing is he was playing part-time and um i could kind of see i mean it's it's just hard to deal with yeah with with the combination of dudes that were that were out there um as good a season as he had it, it did kind of go into the radar some people thought aj hinch might get you know like a kind of a cursory nod as manager of the year but no although there was the amusement of mike schilt um you know, getting, getting nominated and ending up in the final three for NL manager of the year after he's been fired by the Cardinals. That was <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> I enjoyed that. 
Yeah. Oh no, that's brutal. Yep. But so, you know, award season is here. Um, teams have had to issue all their qualifying offers and we're now in free agency. Like almost no moves have really been made yet. Um, Andrew Haney was signed by the Dodgers today. That was the first free agent signing. The Tigers like for Barnhouse. Yeah. Like yep. That. One year, something like yeah. that. Yeah, eight million. Tucker Barnhart, I think, was the first kind of postseason move. Notable move. Yep. I think yep. that was like immediately, like the day after the World Series. It was like, hey guys, guess what? Uh, and I know you and I were kind of like both elated and miffed at this <laughs> yeah. because um I, I, I if you guys have been following bless you boys for years because we have because we are we've worked there um, but <laughs> brandon and i tend to like tagging off on the uh, annual hey the tigers should probably consider uh buying a free agent uh, uh veteran, veteran catcher yeah, yeah. Good behind so, the plate yeah yeah yep. yeah so kind of sad i mean they did it last year and it didn't go well <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Oddly, it, it was one of those ones where they just d- didn't end up needing the guy that they signed. <laughs> it just, yeah, I, I Ramos it, just didn't really fit. And, yeah. It didn't go quite the way they anticipated. I think it was a smart signing. Like, I still think that like the logic that went into signing Ramos was a really good move. Yeah, considering what they had, yeah, going into the season. Yeah, what, what was somebody. available, what was there, what he'd been able to do in the past as a hitter. Yeah, I think like that. It, it was definitely. Uh, the logic was there like they actually put thought into it and it was a good signing um i'm excited about this i think putting you know your initial move towards getting a good catcher as your first move of the offseason yeah um shows that you're not particularly shy but i think his option for the year is like 7.5 million or something like yep. that yeah the tigers picked that up today so yeah, yeah. As, as expected but yeah that's the thing he was just like the perfect fit there was no other left-handed catcher that was going to be available and there was no really strong defensive yeah. catcher available. I think like with Ramos, maybe the one thing they didn't possibly do is, is talk to Chris Fetter <laughs> perhaps enough about what he and, you know, and his staff kind of want, you know, as far as a, a game caller, because I, you know, Wilson Ramos always had a really good reputation, but you know, it might just be kind of aging out of being as good behind the plate, but he just didn't seem to be all that good back there anymore um, compared yeah. to when I'd, watched him like in his nationals days um you know he, he used to be really solid and it just seemed like maybe some of the skills had degraded there a little bit and obviously he was having back spasms and and some trouble like that so it, that might have derailed him more than anything for all i know but um but at least they did the thing you know yeah and this I year thought they, it was they cute got right on it barnhart um i guess he'll be on number 15 yeah um which i think was hench's number I think it was, yeah. Um, and so Hinch has sacrificed number 15. But I thought it was really cute that uh, as somebody who is obviously as obsessed with catchers and historically of catchers as I am, yep. uh, it was Thurman Munson's number. Yeah. Um, and I thought that it was really sweet that he took that and had it available to him. And, and he tweeted it, something about Thurman Munson in particular, too. Um, you know, yeah. yeah, about it being an honor to wear his number. It was and his stuff. favorite. So he, it was his yeah. favorite player. And I thought that it was really sweet that, like, that owed him obviously Thurman Munson. I think, I mean, for those who are in any way where probably should have been at some point in his life, a hall of fame catcher. Yeah. Like so um, many catchers. Obviously, <laughs> obviously it was tragically cut short, unfortunately, but I think, I mean, if I was going to argue, I'd still say his numbers are probably good enough to talk yeah. about it in an arrows committee. Yeah. Uh, but give, give Bill, him a little, little jaws argument. Yeah. Bill Freehand man, for sure. But yeah, I mean, the Tigers like had to do that one thing. There was no other solution. 
and they couldn't really go into the off season and, and through into next year, um, you know, with any pretense that they were going to be a contender if they just kind of stuck with what they had with a couple yeah. of backups back there. Um, Eric, Eric Haas is, you know, fine back there, um, like pretty solid defensively seemingly. Um, but, you know, he's, he's got two months where, he, where he's hit at the major league level and he's 28. So you don't really want to bank on that. So, yeah, it's just the perfect, perfect fit. And to ID that guy and just go get him and not, you know, I mean, they, they probably overpaid a little bit, perhaps, but um, but not much. You know, we're, when we're talking a million or two dollars, it's, it's, you know. Well, and Haas is defensively flexible too, right? So I mean, if his bat continues to be as good as it showed flashes of being throughout the 2021 season, I think you can still throw him in left field. You can still have him flexibly throughout. You can throw him in his DH some days if you need to. Like he's he's got that flexibility, which is not the case of a lot of catchers. And I think that that continues to make him a really solid utility piece. Yeah, and he's Uh, and he hits lefties like he's Ryan Rayburn or something. You know, like yeah. that's all he hits really, but when, but he just does so much damage against them. Um, that's a, that's a valuable little piece to have. Yeah. And I mean, like we can start getting, are we already, do we want to talk about like being excited for next year now that we're already seeing like the motion of the ocean or. Yeah. I mean, I I think we should go into there because yeah, it's been weird. And, um, and I think this has kind of played out over the whole season, like adapting to, you know, being more optimistic about the tigers, because I think I, I mean, I don't know if there's been a bigger, kind of critic than of, of Al Avila and his regime than myself up to date, but um, between but, the two of us. <laughs> yeah. But they started doing, you know, they started doing the things that we've been wanting them to do for a long time. They started poaching other places for, for coaches and um, they've revamped the development staff now just in the last, you know, two months, you know, substantially like went to Huge, the Dodgers, yeah. like the team that's, you know, kind of the gold standard other than the raise for player development down there and, and plucked a whole bunch of guys there you know, they're doing the things that we wanted to do. So I'm, I'm not going to be against them. And, you know, last spring, you know, they, I mean, I, I don't know. I was kind of like sitting there thinking, you know, if they would just go get a shortstop, they, you know, they might not be out of this thing. They might, you know, if everything went well, and as well, it turned out that, you know, that might've come to pass, I'm not going to blame them for it because uh, you know, it was, it was kind of a pipe dream and, you know, they would have needed Spencer Turnbull to stay healthy and, and a couple other things to go right. But um, they were closer than people thought, you know, we, Matt we, Boyd, we, I think would have had to stay out through the, yeah. stay in through the whole year, I think, but I, I think you're right. I think beyond an absolutely abysmal first month, yeah. first six weeks of the season, which really just like yeah. set an initial tone that I wrote about at Fangraphs about it possibly being the worst tiger season ever. Like yep. it was really poised for that they turned it around like whether it was Akil Badu just being you know Akil Badu and he had a little slumps in there yeah. I think it was stuff like Miggy's race for 500 was just like this added enthusiasm that really boosted you know seating numbers for sure for yeah. home games like people were going out in droves I think that's the first time we've seen consistent like 30,000 fan crowds yeah. at Comerica and there's a lot of post COVID enthusiasm in that too. Absolutely. I think like you saw, you know, like some energy from that and then, you know, they got Robbie Grossman and that, and that turned out to be, you know, probably the best, you know, or at least, you know, in terms of a cost to production standpoint, well, the best free agent signing, you know, this group has ever made. Um, it's not, not really close. Grossman, I don't think, but I think we saw the first inklings beyond just prospect grabbing mm-hmm. of them setting their sights on the future with stuff like the Jonathan scope, you know, extension, which yeah. I thought was a smart and I like, 
I think beyond just being like a smart move, considering how well he's performed for them, it does something that they failed to do on a monumental level with like a Nick Castellanos where it's like, Hey, you're performing well and we want to reward you for the performance we're seeing now by giving you security that you didn't previously have Mm -hmm. because for the longest time scope was just like going into his journeyman phase. He was balancing team to team, but he was getting better, which was very weird. Like his numbers were actually like improving as he went through that phase. And I think for the tigers to be like, Hey, wait, you know, like we, we see you for two years. We see you, you know, more long-term. I think that shows something to the rest of the clubhouse. That's like, Hey, we're not in this temporarily anymore. We actually are looking towards the future in a more permanent kind of way. And I think that, I don't know, that made me feel better as a fan anyway. Yeah. At least that there, you know, there was going to be some consistency from year to year. They were ready and, you know, and they had to be, I mean, this is, you know, this was the year when all three of the big pitching prospects were up. Um, You know, you've got Spencer Torkelson and Riley green who are really knocking right on the door. So yeah, it was kind of, yeah, it was kind of go time. And yeah. And I think, you know, beyond anything, um, it was AJ Hinch, you know, it was AJ Hinch bringing in that coaching staff. It was seeing how much Chris Fetter and Juan Nieves could get out of some guys that, you know, a lot of us had sort of given up on when they were in the farm system or, you know, just had never performed all that well. Um, even guys like Derek Holland, who weren't, you know, necessarily that good at, for parts of the season, you know, by the end of the season, he was pitching really well. Um, same thing, you know, Alex Lang, there's, there was just a lot of, um, there was more improvement by individual players this year than there's been in like four seasons. And a lot of those seasons, they didn't even bother to get too many guys that even had that much potential, you know, some guys, you know, like Mikey Matuk and um, you know, um, Ronnie Rodriguez, some of those guys like made sense to give a little try to, but then they held on to them, you know, too long or, or gave it too too much of a try and just didn't seem to have, you know, that coaching staff just didn't seem to have anything for those guys. Um, to, How to dare change. you? The Machuk era did not last nearly long enough. Nope it was a it was a short and somewhat grim era. I'm afraid. And, I loved uh, it. Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we had to we had to take what we could get at that point because <laughs> yeah. it was pretty grim. But well, um, think... but that was it. You know, I mean, it was just seeing players improve all all across the board. Seeing like an overall, we've heard about a Tiger's way you know now for like seven years, and this is the first season it actually felt like there was some coherent like plan in place and the team played like a consistent style of baseball. They did some of the little small ball things, right. That maybe people wouldn't associate so much with AJ Hinch, but then we also got the more flexible, you know, matchup oriented bullpen usage the way the Rays would do it, which we haven't seen rather than inning by inning. Um, All all that good stuff um, came to pass. And, you know, for a lot of us, you know, AJ Hinch, you know, has, has some tarnish on him. Like that was just the way it is. And, you know, by halfway through the season, you know, it's like in Hinch, we trust and people are going bananas and, you know, he just, uh, he wins you over, you know, whatever, whatever went on there. Um, he was the most coherent and interesting person to listen to in a post-game press conference I've ever heard. Like there just aren't many, you know, as much as I love Jim Leland, like he didn't break things down for you, you know, simply you could hear in the way AJ Hinch talks to the press, like how clear and simple he can make certain concepts um, and where his emphasis lies in a way that I really haven't seen from any other Tigers manager ever, maybe Sparky. I I don't know. I think with Hinch, I think there's also like a general, I want to say like distrust, but like 
an aversion to press in yeah. the things that have happened. So I think he wants to make it so that there is no way to misunderstand him. Yeah. And like, I think he wants to say as little as possible, as easily as possible and like be done with it because yeah. I think like he'll be charming here and there. He's got a few, you know, got I, a few wisecracks. He can handle the press, but, but he doesn't let the coaches talk. No. Um, and I think the he problem is directly he's seen what the press does to Al and Al loves to drop us a good soundbite that we can use. Oh, you he know, does. Like he loves the dumbest soundbites in the world. And I, I sometimes think he does it intentionally, but um, like, you know, how we're not going to spend for three years and how we're not going to do these things. And then it becomes like, Oh no, 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 you misunderstood him. He didn't mean that. And I'm like, no, no, those were his exact words. I cannot misunderstand. Um, but I, some, some of his comments about players where he, he seemed to devalue a player that he actually probably needed to try to trade or, yeah. or do something with. Yeah. I mean, he just has, yeah, a, yeah I don't know. So he, that's a learn, learning curve there in the public relations department. That AJ probably doesn't want that to, and especially I think after Houston, right? Yeah. Because not only did Houston have the cheating scandal, but AJ was around for quite a few things that were kind of a bad mark. Yeah. The, there the, was the, the Roberto Osuna business, the Osuna yeah. thing, the you know the Brandon Taubman thing. Oh yeah. Um, even I dare say the Justin Verlander shutting Anthony Fennick out of the <laughs> locker room thing. Yeah. Yep. So I think that in that sense, he's he's done with like narratives, and he just wants it to be like, here you go, here's your soundbite. This is what I mean. I cannot be misconstrued. Yep. Next. Whereas um, in Houston, there was like all this hubris and, you know, the yeah. front office guys, you know, thought they were stars and they were talking and leaking. Everybody was talking yeah. and leaking, um, you know, trying to get their 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 15 minutes um, somewhere along the way. And yeah, I mean, I have to I'm sure you're right that that plays strongly into why he's been like, nope, we're going to have one voice. It's going to be my voice. And, you know, and that's it. <laughs> you can talk to yeah. the players and they'll do their player thing. But yeah, the the coaches are off limits. Yeah. And I don't blame him. Honestly, I think I was a little bit apprehensive. I was definitely not in the AJ Hinch bandwagon when the tiger signed him. Yeah, I was like, no, thank you. Um, I, I don't think we need this. And I will happily say I was wrong. I think for the first, you know, like we said, six weeks of the season, you're like, Ooh, mm, mm. No, but yeah. he, I think you're right. I think he doesn't do things in the same by the book way. I do think garden hire was still a good solution for the tigers for the period that they had him for. He was very much like a hold your hand through the rough seas and get you to the other side with the jolly Santa like demeanor, <laughs> yeah. um, crack some jokes for the folks, have some yeah. Kelly Clarkson ringtones, be able to deal with this ever shuffling lineup of dudes who were in for half a season and then gone forever. Yeah. Um, and they kind of hold the hand of the new guys who never had a taste of the big leagues and like, you know, it's okay. It's not that scary. Here you go. And then I think that made those guys a little bit more ready to take on when like they had a serious skipper. And I don't mean to be dismissive of garden hire, but he was at like the late stages of his managerial career. Yeah, And he didn't go and bring in like a bunch of cutting edge coaches and suggest no. a bunch of players that they thought they can tune up, which was entirely my beef with him because, you know, obviously Ron Gardner is extremely lovable, you know, great, great guy. He's had a really good career in baseball, you know, wish him the best and stuff. But, you know, from my perspective, it was like, can we get someone in here? Who's like got the new ideas. That's why I pushed for 
old what's his face Gabe Kapler and and you know because I you know even if that didn't work it would have changed the culture to the to where they're finally starting to make those adjustments now but um but I think you're right I mean for what they were going to do I mean they really were just going to punt and not not try much of anything and that kind of worked out whereas we you know I mean I just expected that the White Sox were going to break my heart and 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 take AJ Hinch so when we got him I mean I was like on my knees like Boromir with the ring like you know this is a gift to the folks that of was the of it, right <laughs> but when they were like no we're gonna hire Tony Larusa and I'm like I'm sorry yeah our I'm Slack sorry. channel went nuts I can tell I can tell listeners that we went nuts we were like you're going to hire who, who? when yeah. AJ Hinch is available yeah. you're gonna extend him oh my god my life I cannot believe the White Sox have extended Tony LaRusa I know it I mean you, like I mean we saw what went on like it didn't it didn't go well he was a, no, an and, absolute like, negative to that team you know all and I said long. that I'm like the only way the, the White Sox got where they got this season in spite of Tony LaRusa and not yeah. because of him there's and so I, much talent on that roster it's insane how much talent they had and it just boggles my mind that they're like, nah, let's do this again. When it's yep. like, I'm sure Tim Anderson's just sitting there. Oh my God. Like head in hands. Yeah. Going, Why are you doing this to me? I'm so much better than this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. The Yermin Mercedes stuff, like the bullpen oh handling, God. some of the, you know, the, some of the quotes, the press, like it just, uh, it was, it was brutal. It was brutal over there. And we kind of loved it. Um, I don't know. I, well, it wasn't I, happening to us, so that's all yeah. I cared about. Well, it just makes me feel good because I've said all along that like there's just something wrong with the White Sox. Like fundamentally, like no matter how good the team on the field was, they never they never were the team that lived up to it or overachieved. You know, not not seven or eight years ago when it was the you know the Chris Sale era and like they they picked up Adam Dunn and like Adam LaRoche and all these kind of older, like, eh, okay guys. I mean, this, it was that sort of thing. And uh, it just, it just never came together for them, but man, that team is talented now. And it's, it was just such a mess, just such a mess that they, that they hired him. I, if I, um, if I was a White Sox fan, I would have lost my mind this year. I guarantee it. I know quite a few White Sox fans who yeah. are shaking their heads in intense pain. So yeah, overall, I mean, it was a fun season. It was an interesting season. I think when I look back, you know, before we get into more specifics about the Tigers, I mean, I'm going to look back at the season as the year of Otani, like, you know, what he did this year. I mean, I well, we might never see anything like it again, even, even from him. Um, we were all laughing during the postseason because it, you know, every, it was like the countdown, like, Oh, is Zach Grinky's hit the final hit by a pitcher and stuff. And everybody's like, no stupid Otani, you know, everybody's just yelling like, Otani. I mean, he just, as, as someone replied to me after one of those, it was just like, he's not, you know, he's not a pitcher. He's in his own category entirely. And that was, that was pretty much how this year played out for him. Well, that's what kills me too. Is like, I'm really kind of sick of the like Shohei Otani is the new Babe Ruth rhetoric. Like Shohei Otani isn't anything but the first Shohei Otani. Like he, he's unlike anything. I think anybody's seen at least in our generation. And I think in general, yeah. like he's just such an exciting, yeah, he's a two-way player. Yeah. You want to make comparisons to Babe Ruth, but it's so different. Yeah. Like it's he's, just... he's, he's a 10 tool player, you know, absolutely. Like, like I'm sure Babe Ruth was a good pitcher, but to, to throw a hundred and drop that splitter and then turn yeah. around and steal bases. Cause he's one of the faster guys in the game Yes, and then hit 40 plus bombs. It's just like, what is happening? Like, this is insanity. And, and he's just that's... like, and he's, he's just this big, like, you know, like absolutely cut, like sculpture of a man. Super handsome. Yeah. But um, cute. Like really young looking. Didn't have yeah. that going for him. Let me tell you. <laughs> no, no, I'm afraid not. 
No, Shohei Otani's probably sold like millions of posters in Japan. (laughs) I probably tell you, but like, good looking dude. Um, But like, so exciting. And I think what's cool about Otani is that like, this is what his fourth, third, fourth year. Yeah, I think it's the third. Third, one hundred percent though. I feel like 2020 being the 60 game season that it was has like completely thrown me off of like what anybody's trajectory in the majors is. Yeah. Um, But I think what's exciting is that like everybody looked at Shohei Otani as being like the superstar that every team wanted to get. And like, it was so hungry to sign him. And then, you know, the angel signed him and he was okay. He was good. He was fun to watch, but he was never like, oh my god right like he was like hey this guy can do a lot and this is cool and this is fun and then this season it was like oh oh this is why they went to all that trouble yeah and i think that was fun to see that kind of come to like reality of what like all the expectation of him had been and that it actually was and i think we saw that in two different fields right we saw that with otani and then we also saw that with wander franco who had been like, you know, number one prospect in all of baseball two years in a row. What was going to happen when he came to the majors? Would it be anything? Gets his first home run, gets all of these things. Like, is just, I mean, he's is he a perfect shortstop? No, not a perfect shortstop. Is he incredibly fun to watch? Did he strike out very few times and was just as good at the plate as anybody expected him to be seeing him through the minors? Absolutely. Like, yep. yep. Just so another, think... another, you know, just amazing young talent. And, and it just seems like there's, there's so many of them right now. The, the game yeah. is just stacked with, with good young players and, and good young shortstops to, to some degree, uh, assuming yeah. Fernando Tatis Jr. can get back there and keep his shoulder from flying out of the socket. Um, you know, there's, uh, there's some fantastic young talent and just, you know, just some eye popping players right now, for sure. Should we talk about shortstops? Yeah. I was going to transition that myself. <laughs> so we'll get to the Tigers the because slide yeah. into the free agency market. Exactly. Because we all know <laughs> that, you know, the one thing the Tigers need, need most, I mean, obviously they need pitching, but there's a lot, you know, there's a wide band of like how you could construct a, a, a quality pitching staff. Um, even, even mostly by addressing the bullpen more than, than the starters. There's all kinds of ways to go about that. But there really isn't anything to do other than to get the best shortstop that they can get their paws on, plug them into that lineup, and be set so that if Spencer Torkelson and Riley Green show up and are both, you know, not not good or great right out of the out of the box, but if they're just you know solid contributors, yeah, if they're just average players at first base and you know wherever Riley ends up, left field or center field or whatever, that you're not going to waste that season. Um, you you know you, you just can't do that while these guys are cheap. Look, and Brandon, for, my, and for my money, that ex- that lays out like this two-year window until Miggy's contract expires, where they sh- they should go ahead and get the shortstop they need and do what they can to win, and then they can rethink things two years from now. By then, they'll have seen all the young players. Miggy will be gone. One big contract to Carlos Correa is not going to hurt anything. Um, now, and, yeah, and then we'll go from there and see how see how see where it takes us. I don't know about you, but I think Riley Green is going to be a gold glove left fielder rookie of the year in his first season. But well, you're, yeah, you're, yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm naturally too cynical for that. I, I think, yeah, 
Yeah, because I mean, I, I'm I never afraid of good. things. I still, I was still <laughs> a Jake Rogers true believer all the way through to the beginning of this. And I'm not like Jake Rogers is bad, but he's not like gonna like take home any awards. Well, you never know. Like a couple years from now, you know, maybe he maybe, might, maybe he'll be Mike Zunino if he could tap uh, into Zunino level power. He's got the same defensive skills. Good old Mike Zunino. All yeah. he can hit is home runs. Yeah, he is that guy. He's like uh, the Javi Baez of catchers. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I just want Riley Green to be amazing right out of the gate because that's all I want for him. Um, yep. And not just for the Tigers. I just, I want good things for Riley Green in his life. Yep. <laughs> it's just and, and you might get it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Carlos Correa. Okay, let's talk Carlos Correa because yeah. yes, I think without a doubt, the most exciting free agent available, I think overall this year, I think not just shortstop. I think probably yeah. we're talking about available free agents on the market bang for your buck yes carlos correa is probably right up there and yes my tone i'm sure will give away the fact that i am not thrilled about the prospect <laughs> of baseball's greatest villain um, <laughs> i think he's like cast himself as that so i don't think me saying that carlos correa is like a you know baseball's most villainous player i don't think that that's like a me thing i think he leaned right into that heel turn and like really let himself be that like i, I don't think Carlos Correa is a bad person, like off the field. Oh yeah, sure I mean, we're all, this is this is all baseball stuff. This is know? all baseball, yeah. but he sure went from like being that adorable guy who gave Ken Rosenthal an engagement ring so that he could propose to his girlfriend on the field at you know the World Series to being like, I don't care what people think of me, and I don't care that people know we cheated, and blah blah blah, and like, yeah, Carlos Correa has certainly not done much to endear himself to fans outside of Houston, I think over the past two seasons. And that's fine. Baseball isn't a sport about making besties. It's not a sport about being like Mr. Congeniality and that's okay. But like, I like to like players. Yep. And I grant you, I was a big Ian Kinsler stan. I loved, and to this day love Ian Kinsler. Yep. And Ian Kinsler was a player you can only love if he is on your team. Like <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I spent to this. He is not somebody that you can get behind and cheer for unless he is on the team that you are watching. Because wow, what a personality, right? Like yeah. it's abrupt, it's harsh, it's abrasive. And I feel like I'll say it now. I feel like Carlos Correa could have that same impact like if he's brash and he's outspoken and he wants to win and if that's but also flashier like because ian kinsler of course captain anti-flash like you know no no oh so old school so stoic literally rub some dirt on it god bless him yep um i yeah i love ian kinsler but very different temperaments of players 100 percent. like yeah 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 carlos correa has like you know like the looks and sort of the personality to be like a super super popular star but because you know i mean i i guess you can give him credit for you know coming clean initially to some degree but then yeah you know he was the first guy to be like you know don't talk about jose altuve that way and really like you know decided that was going to be his line that like you can boo me but you can't boo you know jose altuve and you know I mean, I understand that there's not really a great way to deal with that. Um, and that's their own, their own fault. You know, Carlos Correa was what, 22 when that happened. I mean, he was young. There was a lot of other, you know, more veteran people around there who should have known what they were doing was wrong and not done it. And uh, so I don't put him high on my list of, of the villains of that, uh, that particular team from that point, but 
he is really like, yeah, he's gone out and just said like, yep, you guys are going to boo me every day. I don't care. You know, I don't care what you think. And, um, you know, he's got to be that way on the inside. Like, that's the only way you could be, you know, yeah. about it to continue to perform. But he's been very, very vocal about that as well. Like, you know, I'm just I'm not going to apologize anymore and go, go bleep yourself if you don't like me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there it is. And um, and what's interesting is that you still I don't know, you know, this is where you just get into the pundit tree around the game where he's still, you know, been talked about a lot recently as like a guy who's really grown into the leadership role with yeah. the Houston Astros and is like, you know, the guy in, in the locker room. Um, and, you know, that would be but, good if he is, but it's also, you know, kind of contrast quite a bit with what I would say his, his public image is to a lot of people. But then you look at it and I, I think, I think Correa with that in mind has already kind of given himself to signing off of the Astros. Like, yeah. I think we saw in the world series, he's like, I really just wanted to address those guys one last time, like after game six and yeah. like very much said it that way, like one last time kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and, and then he, obviously and the Astros. Knew. Yeah. Yeah. And the Astros offered him, I think, what was it? Five years, one sixty. Yeah. yeah. Um, which he declined, um, yeah. which I think goes to show two things. One that the Tigers are going to overpay for him. Um, yeah. And they're going to sign him to a contract that's oh. if if the Tigers sign him. I mean, he could and go to New York. The Yankees need to. He could that. go a ton of places. I think a lot yeah. of places are suggesting. I saw it on MLB.com. I saw a couple places. I think uh, there's a lot of suspicion that it's you know he fits with the Tigers' need. He would be a an incredible get. Like it would be the first time the Tigers really leaned in and said, "Hey." Let's grab a guy that's got all this stuff going for him. Let's sign a 10-year contract for somebody. Yeah. I will throw up. Um, this is kind of like the, the Pudge Rodriguez move, except that the team is already better. You know, yeah. it's not it's not like, you know, this is the first thing that we're going to do. It's that we've already kind of got this foundation, but there's this one gaping black hole, not just in the MLB roster, but throughout the system. You know, Ryan Kreidler's a nice, nice little prospect. Maybe, you know, he turns into a second baseman or third baseman, but I'm pretty confident, you know, that you should not be banking on him to be a, you know, a three or four war shortstop. Like this is not, not likely in the cards at least. So we have so, this huge problem and he's, he's just the, the perfect solution. He really does make the most sense. I mean, you look at other free agents, but like you got Javi Baez who's out there and I like Baez a lot as a player oh, watching I mean, him. I love Javi Baez, but yes, but I also don't want him. <laughs> no, exactly. Like, I mean, that's the thing, right? Like I, I he's such an absolutely delightful player to watch on the field, Yeah, but he's not what the team needs. And I think it's harder to justify a long-term contract for someone like a Javi Baez. Yeah. Um, and I think I, I could honestly see him going back to the Cubs to be a hundred percent honest with you. I, I feel um, like it's either the Cubs or he'll, or he stays at the Mets. Like it just feels like the Mets yeah. really wanted to put that, that Baez Lindor middle infield together, yeah. even, even though neither one of them really looks all that good anymore. <laughs> like Lindor no, is still a good player, but there's not a not ton what of he was. from that Mets crowd either. Yeah. Um, but like, I think that Korea just makes the most sense if the Tigers are being serious about, yeah planning long-term and planning for the future. And I have long said that any contract over five years is lunacy. And like, <laughs> cause you just, you're not, 
going to get the same player seven years from now as you are now. And I understand that you top load contracts because you want the guy for the next three to four years Yeah, and you pay him for the next 10 because you're hoping in those three to four years, you're going to get a world series. I get it. I don't need anybody coming at me on Twitter trying to explain (laughs) the logic behind 10 year contracts to me. I will never like them. I understand why they exist. Yeah. I can't believe I saw the end of Max Scherzer's tenure with the the Nationals after that bonkers, bonkers contract. Yep. Um, and that offer from the Astros felt very, very much like, um, you know, Mike Illich's offer to Max. Like, we're going to offer enough that that it doesn't look like we absolutely were just like, yeah. no way, we don't want you, but we know you're not taking this deal. Yeah, and I I hate to shoot anybody in the foot of their pipe dreams, but Max Scherzer and Nick Castellanos are not coming back to the Tigers this offseason. Yeah, Um, I think most people are okay on the Nick front, at least. No, but I've seen people say, hey, we could bring him back. And I'm like, Nick Castellanos would not come back to the Tigers unless you, like, kidnapped his family and hid them at Comerica. Like, he, I don't think that there was a lot of love left yeah. Um, by the time he was done, I don't think that yeah. I, I mean, I'll I stand by like, I don't I think. Like, well, I was going to say, Nick Castellanos is like that dude who, you know, who like declared his love. Like he wrote like the Tigers a, a love letter about wanting yeah. to stay there. And the Tigers were just like, oh, that's, that's cute. And, you know, and then walked away and like laughed with their girlfriends. It was like that, you know, yeah. <laughs> that dynamic. And, you know, and, and he was done with them after that. Like, I, you know, it was just. Yeah. Was but then like the, the same girl comes around and she's like, hey, could you do my like first base homework? Right. Um, yeah. And he's like, no, you know, you already made me do your third base homework. You already made me do your right field homework. I'm not going to do your first base homework. Not, not without uh, some guarantees. Yeah. yeah. Not without an actual date. And I'm yeah. like, I, I get it. So I don't. Uh, Max, there's a no go. Max is going to go somewhere else but there is another former tiger there is another yeah hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. There is another who is doing some throwing sessions this week. Yep, yep. That had some attendance. Uh, there was also another former, the, the same former Tiger whose brother um, yeah. <laughs> took yeah. to Twitter to very much openly say that he would not be taking the qualifying offer from his current team. Yep. Uh, which is not a shock. Nobody takes the qualifying offer. <laughs> like it's... Yeah. In his case, I kind of could have seen it if there was, um, if there was still kind of doubt about like how far back, you know, yeah. how, how far along he was back. But yeah, reports, you know, there were 15 teams, including the Tigers watching his workout today. And apparently he topped out at 97, which is just yeah. stupid because he's 39 now. Yeah, um, I thought, you know, I, I have been really pretty vocal that I think Justin Verlander probably has three or four more really good years. If he won yeah. another Cy Young, it would not blow my mind. No. Um, but to see that he's already back, like, yeah, like, you know, 
hitting basically the max velocity he had with the Astros the last two years, which was, you know, 97, 98. Uh, yeah. So yeah. The how, how late did Nolan Ryan happen. go? What was it 41? He was pitching. No, no. Him? I think he pitched until I think Ryan pitched until he was like 45, but I'm not really sure sort of where his velocity was at in those, those later years. Like if you were throwing 93, 94 riding fastball with a high yeah. spin curveball, you probably still look like, like a beast, but now I do kind of want to know. <laughs> so my question, I guess it's not a question because I know what I want. I, I'm fairly confident. I know what you want. Um, do you think if we see this like Astros-ish reunion? <laughs> yeah. The band was coming back in together. Detroit, like with Hinch, with Correa, with Verlander. Do you think there's any kind of pushback from a local crowd with that? Or do you think that like the love for Verlander, the newly restored kind of, ah, oh, AJ Hinch is our savior. And, yeah. you know, just having the bat of Carlos Correa in your lineup outweighs all of that. I think that will outweigh most of it. Um, you know, I mean, even for myself, like, you know, that it's a, it's a little dicey to think about committing. That's the question is like, what, what is Verlander going to get? You know, cause I'm right now I'm thinking like, maybe he gets like two years, 40 million. Um, because if he was going to get one a one year deal, I think he probably would just take the qualifying offer yeah. and and rebuild his value. But yeah, I mean, do we want to put fifty million and maybe so, more on those on those two players? I the problem is that we just don't know what Chris Illich is willing to spend. Frankly, I mean, I, I you know that always has to play into it. But um, but as far as like. Are you talking more of like a feel sense? Like, how do I feel about it? I feel great. I, yeah. I mean, I want. I would love to have Justin Verlander <laughs> back, obviously, but um, but I also recognize that that could that could hamper them the next year or two if he's if he's not healthy. You know, if he pitches well for a month or two, and then you know, oh, there's there's some elbow soreness, and we got to shut him. Down. And then you know, then all of a sudden, everybody's like, "This is the dumbest idea ever." You know, why why would you do this? But I gotta, I've got to wonder. I mean, you look at it, and you're like, "Yeah, okay, so we'd be spending a lot of money on Justin Verlander." But I, and I, if anybody in the front office is listening, just hand me directly to your marketing team. <laughs> um, oh yeah, from a pure you are on a roll. <laughs> marketing sales yeah. and jersey sales and stuff out of the store immediate for the first two months of that season mm -hmm. oh yeah it's worth it like yeah. it's because of the nostalgia factor because of the love the detroit tigers crowd has for justin verlander i think anything else gets overlooked and it's like the prodigal son returning home yeah like, yeah because I think we've always wanted this. Um, I mean, I think even people who are wary of signing him right now, like mm -hmm. if he came back and he was just sort of like a good pitcher, but not, you know, not, not great anymore. I think people would still kind of want him to come back for one year and like mm -hmm. end his career here. Like, I think almost everybody kind of wants that. Like it, it would be fitting. Like it's, it's quite disturbing to see at this point in Clayton Kershaw's career, the Dodgers kind of decide like, okay, that's enough. Um, that seems very weird um, from the Dodgers. I, I know that, you know, Carlos, Cre or I'm sorry, um, Clayton Kershaw has, you know, chronic lumbar back issues that could end his career possibly at any time. You know, like it, it, it's a sketchy situation, but considering all the other things the Dodgers do, it does feel cold to take the chance of him going and playing for like the Rangers for two years. Um, I know. I was genuinely shocked. Like, yeah. I know he's been injured. I know he hasn't been the Clayton Kershaw of old, but when they didn't offer him a qualifying offer, 
Yeah. I'm like, are you serious? Yeah. Like, yeah. are you actually like that just seems like the polite thing to do, given everything that he's been through with your team. Yeah. Like during the crushing way he walked off the field during the postseason, just like, oh, like, yeah. and then you have fucking Trevor Bauer not taking his like his opt out. Yeah. And that's I mean, and that and that is say no other discussion. I get why I he did that. Oh, for sure. That man does not want to test the markets of free agency when nary a team out there wants to touch him. Yeah. But it's still a gross. Like you're sitting there and you're like, oh, now, now they have to keep paying me until some sort of consequences come around the corner. Yeah. And that's, you know, and that's another painful part of it is that that money is, is going to be a big part of the reason why they, they really had to decide like, yeah, you know, we, we have to make this, this tough call and curse, you know, it's like, geez, that's brutal. It is. Um, so yeah, you know, like, I think you're, I mean, I think you're right that Verlander is worth, I mean, Verlander is worth more to the Tigers than he is to other teams. Like the Tigers mm-hmm. could spend more on him and, and recoup more money. The question is if they sign Carlos Correa, how much of that is already going to happen? Because there's going to be a ton of jer- Jersey sales. Fan base is going to go nuts. Ticket sales are going to go through the roof. How I, much, how much more on top of that does Justin Verlander kind of get to, you know, I think a lot more. Yeah. I genuinely do. I think that there are people like me who can are put, just like, can we put a number? I mean, that's I know it's hard. Do you think like Verlander's worth like maybe four million, something like that? Three million. I mean, are we trying there? to figure out like an an like like a war value yeah. of like actual sales numbers? Exactly. I'm trying I'm just trying to find well, a I mean, number look- where we would be comfortable sign- signing Justin Verlander. Cause I don't I feel like if he's gonna get, you know, I don't know, two years at 25 or 28 million dollars that's pretty pretty hard to swallow you know that's like full value basically for what you hope you're going to get with no no discount but but I think, also sells a lot of jerseys and that counteracts I it to some degree i think with marketing like i think with being able to like put his face on ads yeah. to being able to like you know throw his face on your your season ticket sales that year to yeah all of those Verlander jerseys to the extra seats. I mean, if we look at the seat sales and the way that they increased when Miggy was going for 500 and don't forget, he still has a milestone to hit next year. There's yep. still the three, the three, 3000 hit mark. Um, so people will still be on the lookout for that. That's going to happen. in probably the first half of the season next year. Yeah. And so between that, between Verlander returning, I, I, I do think you see an uptick. Yeah. I think especially on Verlander bump days, you're going to see guys going out there and being all like, yeah, I am, you know, bring the kids. My kid wasn't old enough to come see these games last time JV was here. I'm going to get him a little toddler jersey. Yeah. You know, like, you know, I, I don't. I mean, I, you could, if the Tigers say things go reasonably well and they say they sell 2 million tickets next year, you could probably add two or $3 to each one of those tickets if, if, if you sign Justin Verlander, um, because a lot of people are going to come out from the start, just from that, like they might, they're not going to keep coming out if things don't go well. No. Like, and I mean, but yeah, but there is going to be a, if big, something happens, yeah. it's not going to continue to bring your seat sales in, but yeah. those top loaded Jersey sales aren't going to like not be a thing. People, if he's got a two year contract, they're still going to buy the Jersey. Yeah. Um, I still have a Justin Verlander Jersey kicking around of all things. And I don't even particular, like, I mean, I love Justin Verlander, the player, but like yeah. Carlos, I yeah. don't think he's a great dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like that. Yeah. Like it. Yeah. Okay. Yep. 
not a criminal dude, not a terrible dude, but like. I wouldn't want to go to a dinner party. Like, I'm just saying, mm-hmm. I don't know that, you know, whatever. I mean, I don't have to like any of these players. That's yeah. capacity. I, I find don't... it's, I find for the most part, it's best not to. <laughs> That's <laughs> true. I, I think if we're yeah. going to be completely frank, I think I like one player in all of baseball <laughs> and that is Sean Doolittle and I'm oh yeah Alex drawing the line there like I'm good <laughs> like I I mean as much as I love Alex Avila I'm not sure I want to get to know him as a person right yeah like, yep, you just don't know because you might be exactly you never the meet disappointment your heroes, is you know? just yeah no I don't need that but Sean Doolittle I feel like is just who he says he is so I'm I, I'd be good at the dinner party yeah there. I think I'd be cool we could talk about books that guy loves to read so mm-hmm. yeah um, yeah I don't know I I think I think it would be worth it to bring him back I think I think I think bringing him back now for like a two-year contract makes almost more sense than bringing him back in three years when it's like the here's the broken down justin verlander horse watch him do one last round yeah and see see the sideshow look what he can do whereas it could be like hey this is the first year the tigers got over 500 this is you know Mm -hmm. the debut season of all these great dudes this is all of these moving parts kind of coming together and then if we continue to see the AL central be as bad as it's been, yeah, there's no reason to think that they couldn't contend. Yeah. In two years. Like, yeah. Or even, or even next year. Possibly. Even, I mean, they were yeah. in second place in the AL central briefly. Yeah. And that's after a division... blowing a tire, you know, all, all of April. Um, and, you yeah. Know. And in a division that nobody thought that they would do better than fifth in. Yeah. So I think the pieces are there. I think had April and the beginning of May not been such a disaster this year, they would have finished over 500. Yep. Um, and then I would I, be writing the, oh, you screwed up by not by not trading for <laughs> Willie Adamas or, or Trevor uh, Story article, like you wasted the season Tigers, but I won't do that. I won't um, do that. <laughs> but I do think that if they put the right pieces into order, that they could make something special in the next two years. And I think that that's why you take that risk. I think you yeah. craft something and who's to say who's to say you win a world series like let's not jump to conclusions but who's to say you win the 2023 world series if there's not a lockout if there's not a strike that verlander doesn't just decide to stick around at a like a slightly reduced contract for the last two years of his career yep and just just pitch until the arm pitch until the arm goes yep Um, i i have to note here that nolan ryan pitched until he was 46 46 and in his last year he had a 4.88 era Are you fucking <laughs> it's still pretty effective yeah not great but still pretty darn good oh my god i mean i remember nolan ryan pitch because i you know i mean i grew up watching baseball in the 80s but you know i didn't you know, back at that point you couldn't really watch out of market games all that often yeah. unless they were playing the tigers and all that sort of thing so i might have seen him a couple times but um but yeah, I, I remember even then everyone just like marveling, you know, like, yeah, oh, you know, no one's ever, ever been able to do this and still throw this hard. You know, like, I don't have you, know, you seen the documentary so fastball. Yeah, I have. Yeah, I'm very, yeah. very skeptical about uh, Walter. Are Walter, you 100 mile per hour fastball in a tie and uh, street shoes? But, you know, you never know. I, I believe I know. I know. I mean, we know what a 100 mile per hour fastball effort looks like from pitcher. And it's not buying that. Nope. Not for me, but um, yeah, I mean, I I think there's just two different, 
there's two different ways to think about the timetable, which is that, yes, the Tigers should not sign multiple long-term deals, like, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years. Like I'm fine with one to Carlos Correa. And I think there's a little bit more fear of that out there than there needs to be because people have it in their head that the big problem the last four years was that, you know, Miggy's contract held him back or something. And it, it's just not the case. You know, Miggy's contract wasn't specifically the problem. And they also gave Miggy that last extension when he was like 33 and already, you know, had like torn his knees and groin all to, to hell. Um, it's not very comparable to Carlos Correa. And then you also had, yeah, Jordan Zimmerman, Dustin Upton, you had Verlander's deal. You had JD Martinez coming off. Victor Martinez. Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of that and you didn't have a farm system still um, at that point. So, so that one long-term deal is okay. And then I think, yeah, like you, again, you've got, you've got that two-year window um, until Maggie comes off the books and then you're probably going to rethink, you know, based on how the prospects do, you know, what you need and, and where you're going to go. And they should have that flexibility then. So, I mean, I would love to see Chris Illich, like, you know, drop two 15, $20 million deals, you know, on, on pitchers this year and next year. And just don't, don't book anything else beyond that and just give it, you know, and give it a go. Um, but, you know, a lot of people are also going to like, oh, Chris Illich is never going to spend. And I, and I don't believe that either, but I, I do think, you know, it's reasonable to suggest that he probably has a limit somewhere around a league average payroll, you know, one yeah. 125 million, 135 million, maybe if he's, if he's willing to stretch it because they were so far below it the, the past couple seasons, um, they do have a new TV deal. So we know they're going to make more money next year. Um, they've been a revenue sharing team for three years. So the league has been paying them to suck. Um, you know, I don't have any sympathy for Chris Illich's money right right now. You know, I don't need $200 million or $180 million, but I do need to make, you know, him to make a serious effort to get him out of my, you know, my mental doghouse where I'm like, okay, I don't hate this guy. He might do enough, you know, to, to get this done. I made a Chris Illich joke the other day um on my other podcast so on the d Rays bay podcast network we do who's on worst who is which we do uh the worst baseball movies it's our our podcast oh, on yeah, that we yeah. review and we watched for love of the game um which is of course a detroit tigers movie like yeah. that is 100 percent rooted in al east bound detroit tigers um it's the last of the kevin costner baseball trifecta yeah. Um, and there is a scene where Brian Cox is playing the owner of the tigers and he goes in to tell Kevin Costner's character that he sold the team. Mm. And he says, I thought I was going to leave it to my kids, but they don't care about baseball. And I'm like, well, it's the most realistic telling of the Detroit Tigers story I've ever heard (laughs) in my life. I'm like, oh, that hit close to home. (laughs) That's painful. That's painful. Too real. Too real. Um, And so, so, yep, you know that passes it over to you Chris Illich like you're gonna you're gonna have to prove it to us that, you, that you're in the baseball. It's such a marked difference between him and Mike and I well, think but we do have to of course remember that you know for most of Mike Illich's ownership of the Tigers he was a terrible owner too really you know he was an abysmal owner in in most respects until and I mean he the made last a lot of five or six years you know but he made a lot of poor decisions even in those last five years that were based on a very narrow win now attitude as opposed to a long term and a very and old I, school like absolutely stars and, and I, scrubs are, are the way to go and here. a kind of a favoritism towards certain players as yeah, well like yeah. i think especially with with victor when yeah. you're looking at it like victor went right to mike and was just like hey man and like mike's like you know dollar don't dollar worry dollar. don't worry victor we're gonna i got you i got yep. your back um 
but yeah, it's just, it's such a weird difference to see, I think, in that we got so used to that free spending Mike era mm-hmm. and then it was shut down, like yeah. completely shut down. And Chris has not cracked the big banks open nope. uh, since. And I think that that, because we haven't seen him spend big in any real capacity since he's taken over the team has kind of left people to go, Oh, well, he doesn't want to spend and he won't spend and Chris right. doesn't buy into big contracts. And I think that perhaps, uh, perhaps that is unfair of us. Yeah. I, th- I do think it's unfair. Yeah. We have not really seen a team that's in a position exactly. where spending that kind of money makes sense. Right. And it would have been uh, one of those weird moves where some bottom feeder team, you know, signs one guy for $30 million for no yeah. reason that anyone can fathom. Yep. Well, I mean, like, let's look at the Padres. Let's look at a, a current example of a team mm-hmm. that, that looked poised to do very well yeah. and spent incredibly and made these deals and like these trades and these moves yep. that really should have positioned them for a postseason run yep. and didn't. Yep. And then you looked at the Tigers who in 2015 and onward were not what I would call postseason poised. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it didn't make any sense really. Like they've done some interesting things. Um, but I think you're right. I think now as we've seen a really good latter half of this season and we're seeing some of the prospects and we're seeing guys like Green and Torkelson kind of poised for that next step now really is the time where you say okay what are we doing the next five to ten years like what is our long-term planning now that we are kind of set towards this like I honestly thought and I was one of them I I honestly thought Chris Illich was kind of preparing to sell the team yeah I thought he was leaning into a no spend because he's like well I don't care I'm gonna get rid of this so Mm -hmm. let me just get as much off the books now as I can so it's kind of like something that people will want to buy into and I can get rid of it for like $2 billion. Oh God, it kills me how much teams are worth. Yeah. Um, I know. And be done with it. And I don't know. I don't know that that's the case. I felt like the, the earmarks were there for it for two years. Yeah. Um, I guess yeah, we'll it see. It like if they were. Yeah. I mean, if, if he was going to sell, it does seem like right he now. should have done it. Yeah. yeah. Or, or right now would be the time. Like they're primed. Yeah. I'm going to give you, you know, you're going to have a farm system that's all modernized now. We've got all new staff. We've got, you know, the talent beyond Torkelson and Green isn't, you know, eye popping. But it's still like once those two guys graduate, the, the farm system is still better than it was in like 2014, 2015, 2016. It's very um, mid-level, it's quite, right? Like it's yeah, not on the yeah. top end of things, but it's certainly not the bottom of the barrel. Yep. And they just, you know, just made all these investments by luring a bunch of coaches from the, the Dodgers and, and elsewhere, um, you know, to do better than what the guys who were here could do. And that seems easy. Um, I don't know if we're going to turn into the Dodgers or the Rays, but um, but the Tigers should be able to churn out more talent than than they have to date. So um, so yeah, there's some there's some backup there, and I think that also speaks to why this is a good time to this is a good time to really try to win the next two years. Both because you're going to have a bunch of money coming off the books in a couple of years, um, 
And then you're going to have that cycle where Casey Mize and Tark Scooble and those guys start to hit arbitration mm-hmm. right around that same time that, you know, that would be like the next phase, like where you, where you rethink things then. But yeah, right now I just say go for it, especially because there seem to be very good odds. I mean, it seems to me almost a certainty that the playoffs are going to be expanded. The owners want this a hundred percent. They're not going to give, you know, anything to the players without getting that in, in return. And that means that there's probably going to be, you know, seven teams based on one, one model that they're thinking about, Um, you know, so almost half the teams in both leagues, you know, and maybe there'll be expansion down the road, but for next year, if you're in the top half of your league, you're probably in. So, and what this postseason shows is that anybody can get there. Right. So, and that's another thing about the Padres, The, the Padres season also shows that like trying everything, like literally everything to make sure that you, you win now that that isn't a great idea either you know you should do enough to make sure that you're in every year and then hopefully you you stumble upon the perfect recipe that one year and get there i mean that's that's the you know the whole the break you know i hate to bring up the race because they're just such a unicorn like you know no i don't have any expectation that we're going to be able to do quite what the rays do but you know they, they just get in there every year and one of these years it's probably going to work out you know <laughs> it's going to well, come I think what the thing is that the Rays have probably learned, and I hope what they've learned from this year is that a team that's built to withstand a 162 game season successfully is not the same thing as a team that can win a seven game series. Yeah. And I think that you have to be able to do both well. Yeah. And I, I think the, where the Rays failed going into the postseason was their starting pitching. Yeah. Um, because they just didn't have the depth. They didn't have enough and they depended monstrously on their bullpen, which is incredible. Their bullpen's great. But when you have a seven game series or five game series or whatever you're going through and you're relying on the same six or eight guys mm-hmm. who are only used to giving you an inning or two, then it that's where it becomes an issue, right? So I think right. it, it definitely showed cracks in a system that can work very well over the long haul. Yeah but they relied really heavily on rookie pitching. They didn't have a set kind of four or five man starting rotation that they could lean into and it's what undid them. So, and they kind of did make, you know, the, the bigger move for a bat than they normally do by getting Nelson Cruz. I mean, they, they even tried to do that, but they didn't have to give up very much as usual. And, you know, and, and they were, they were in the mix and then you see, you know, sometimes just weird stuff happens like Nathan Valdi all of a sudden, just locks in and is just an absolute beast or like, you know, Tanner Hoke has been good, but you know, they, they just, or Joe Kelly, like yeah. Joe Kelly has a weird knack for just like all of a sudden being like the best reliever on the field in the postseason for like, yeah, or, three, you know, four games. Cruz you know. doesn't perform in the postseason or the thing that's happened two years in a row now for the Rays is that Brandon Lau, who's just a sensational hitter throughout the regular course of the year, yep. stumbles in the postseason. He just chokes. Yep. And there's no, you know, rhyme or reason to it, but it's those little things that kind of undo you. So um, yeah, I think they'll have lessons to learn there. But I think that the Tigers saw that they could put together a cohesive lineup over the course of like a, you know, three quarters of a season. Yep. Yep. and get some surprising results from some guys. I don't think that they really saw them coming from. Like, I don't think anybody looked at Eric Haas at the beginning of the season was like that guy, yeah. that guy's got superstar written on him. I don't think they saw that in Akil Badu. I think some of us saw it in spring training and we're like, Oh, yeah. that's interesting. Yeah. Let's keep an eye on him. But I think that like, 
and I hate to say this because I think I've mentioned I've said this in the past, but like they are having fun again mm-hmm. and they're fun for us to watch again, which I think is the big difference. Like, yeah. yep. like it's then, not unbearable. Yeah. 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 And, you know, for the last four months, five months, it was really enjoyable. And and again, that just circles us all the way back to, to AJ Hinch and what happens when you bring in a really good manager who is who hasn't seen non-world series team caliber baseball played in front of his eyes in like five or six years you know there's none of that sort of like um you know maybe that guy can you know it's like he knows what he's used to seeing and if you're not playing that way you're going to hear about it and he's going to move you around to a bunch of different positions to see if you can like you know handle it or or get shaken out of you know whatever sort of funk you're in um, and he's going to expect that you, that you believe that you can win and they played like that. And I'm, you know, I, you know, it's weird to be Mr. Intangibles now a little bit, but you know, you, you see that stuff year after year, you know, you still have to keep it in mind. You can't just, can't just go by the numbers. There was something about that team where they almost always scored in the ninth inning when they were behind, you know, they just, yeah. they, they almost never just folded when the other team went to their bullpen and brought in their, their ACE relievers. And all that stuff, yeah, bodes well when you have, you know, a, a mix of young players that were doing well um, and, you know, a couple of those key veterans um, who, you know, and, and even Miguel Cabrera seemed to be, you know, rather reinvigorated um, at many points during the season um, to be playing on a team that actually was was winning games and and having fun and feeling like they could do that, you know, to anyone on a nightly basis um, was well, just, I think it, just a huge that. culture change. And that's, you know, players, but that's also the, the, the style of leadership and the, the, yeah. the level of expectation that the manage the manager brings. So I think part of the Miggy excitement might've been <laughs> his own enthusiasm for getting to 500. Um, yeah. Or just being done with it, maybe possibly. Yeah, too, yeah. Maybe, but like, I think that propelled probably a lot of excitement from the team around him too. I wouldn't have been surprised if like the guys were going out there going, Oh yeah, this could be it. This yep. could be it. And he was probably hating it. Like stop talking about it. You know, like, yeah, yeah. he's, he was funny that way. He does. He does not want that, that kind of attention. He wants to just be one of the boys, but you know, you kind of have to accept that. And I think at, you know, at certain points later in the season, he did kind of start to like enjoy it and, and sort of. Yeah, it. he was definitely like, like look, if you're just one of the boys it. and you're not playing well enough and we're sending you to triple. Yeah. <laughs> except who you are, you know, except what you've done, you know, the next, you know, he's going to hit 3000 sometime early next year. And then yeah, where's he at right now? It, yeah. It's going to happen in the first half, I think. Yeah. Unless he's like, injured or somehow exactly terrible. Yeah. Um, knock he, on wood. He's uh, close. I mean, it's only like what? 15. Well, I think some people honestly thought it was going to happen this year. And I'm like, not in a thousand years. Um, I had to laugh at it because he, well, he's, he, at, he's 13 hits away. Yeah. So he was pretty close. It wasn't impossible, but yeah, it was, it was well, impossible. Yeah, no, I mean, like he last, he hit 139. So yeah, if he'd gotten to where he was in like 2019, yeah, he could have gotten there. But like he hit 51 last year in that 60 game season. So like, uh... yeah, yeah. So 13, we should probably see that by the end of April, somewhere in somewhere in April, if he's healthy. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> yeah. But then beyond that, that, then that becomes a problem. And I don't even want to talk about this particularly yet, but it's going to be a tough one. Yeah. Fortunately, our nine or 10 year deal to Carlos Correa, he'll only be like 36 or 37. So hopefully he'll still be, you know, 
relatively hale by the time uh, we, we have to punt him aside and be like, look, you're not good enough anymore. I remember or the joking. Tigers go get Trevor Story or, you know, whatever. I don't know. Do whatever else. They signed Chris Taylor and we just put up with him being bad at shortstop. I don't know. I remember uh, joking when they signed that extension with Miguel Cabrera. I'm like, Miguel Cabrera is going to be a Tiger until I'm 40. And I was so excited. And yeah. I am no longer excited by that prospect. Yeah, but, exactly. Now it's like, oh, I'm going to be 40 and Miguel Cabrera is still yeah. a Tiger. Yeah. 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 It's, just, it's an unpleasant thought, you know, <laughs> and there's really n- nothing, uh, nothing to be done so no. we'll just have to but cross I, that bridge when we get there but i'm i am kind of dreading that to be honest next year <laughs> i choose to believe that they'll go out they'll get correa i think the appeal of working with hinch again will kind of help push the mm-hmm. the, the thoughts in that direction i think a lot of people look at that and be like why the hell would he want to go play in detroit right and i think that there are reasons i think a above and beyond what they'll be willing to pay him. Like I could see, you know, 300 mil 10 year contract being a thing. Yeah. Um, and, that's, and that's the other reason to go for him now is that Detroit isn't a free agent destination. It's not like we can yeah. just, you know, pay market rate for whoever we want. And, you know, and Marcus Simeon would be like, Oh, awesome. Or Corey Seager would be like, Oh God, to be a tiger for life. This is a dream. Yeah. It's um, not 2012 anymore. Yeah. Um, and, and even then, you know, it was, it, Detroit's just not that, you know, and most, most of the middle of the country teams are, are just never going to never going to be that way. Like Toronto has like its little cachet because it's in Canada and, you know, it's a great city as well, but you know, it's got a little bit of like a different, you know, it's sort of outside of that, you know, outside of like the Midwestern sort of thing, but this might be the only opportunity to land like a superstar in free agency who really wants to come, you know, who's like, yeah, Yeah. I'm willing to come there. And you don't have to pay me, you know, 40 million a year or something insane to make me do it. So yeah, um, Carlos and his wife are you know, going to have a baby. So hopefully he looks at AJ Hinch as a father figure and, you know, wants to be around him and start his little family here and do, and do their thing. Um, and we'll just all have to put up with the fact that this, you know, this team is packed with filthy, filthy cheaters, Ashley. <laughs> Villains everywhere. Yeah, uh, yeah. I can accept it. It's fine. I, I would, can. I can too. Quite easily. To, to, be honest. to, to win, me a bit to winning games and have a team hit over five hundred, like have an over five hundred record for a season, that would just be um, that'd be worth it. Yep. Yep. Uh, I think we're going to get there. I think. Uh, I think we're going to see that happen. Maybe not Carlos Correa specifically, but I do think. I, I do think you know we're going to be going to be around the hunt next year, and um, you know if the Tigers starring Carlos Correa and want to go find themselves some, some sneaky pitching depth somewhere and do it that way. I, you know, I can accept that too. Um, but as I wrote in my article today, like it's a lot easier to scheme a thousand different cheap ways of, of finishing out a pitching staff than it is to, you know, there's no cheap solution. Yeah. You're going to pull out of thin air at shortstop. So no, and that's yeah. like an everyday thing, yeah. right? Like that's where you drop the money because if you have a guy who's able to turn those vital double plays and can also be an absolute monster in your lineup, that's where yeah. you spend the money. He's, he's been in the playoffs basically every year since he's come in the league. He's played yeah. with all kinds of, you know, talented players. He knows a lot. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot to bring to the table there. And, um, you know, maybe it'll follow him and, and maybe it won't, but you know, I don't see Alex Cora getting booed in, in Boston. And I don't see, uh, you know, quite a few players who are around for that, that whole time period, you know, now that they've left, no, one, it doesn't follow them around, you know, it's going to, going to stick with the Astros, which has just been kind of 
also just silly to watch how these things play out because it's like you're mad you're, yeah, it's you're gonna dusty baker follow- dusty baker wasn't here for this you idiots it's gonna follow them even after everybody that was on that team is no longer there which is gonna be pretty soon yep and it's yeah it's yep. pretty funny that that's down to el tube yuli guriel and alex bregman i think that's it i, think I mean frankly yuli guriel deserves to be booed for other reasons but yeah 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 yuli's yuli's I don't know what's up with I'm sure you, Darvish, has forgiven him, but I haven't. So, <laughs> yeah, I wasn't a fan of that either. No. And yeah, Bregman isn't super likable either. For whatever reason, I like uh, maybe it's because um, I, I, maybe it is going back to like the, the the thrill of seeing Verlander win a ring in 2017 and actually getting on the Astros bandwagon that year. But but yeah, I just can't muster um, too many bad feelings about Carlos Correa I mean- in particular. Bregman, I th- it's so funny because like Bregman, I feel has done other things like where he's helped kids with cancer and like yeah, done Carlos, things. Yeah, yeah, like exactly. I don't know. It's you know well, that like, was the, well, that's that's the impossible moral calculus of trying to like you know root root for the good whoever the good guy is. It's just impossible. You know, you know what I mean. Um, they're all just, just human, so right? Like it's yep, at the end exactly. of the day, I think we hold them to a higher standard. Um, but I can't say that if I was in a position where um, I was on a team, like you say, I'm on a work team and that team did something that was in, uh, not great, like mm-hmm. not cheating, but maybe they bent the rules a little to get an account or they did something that they shouldn't have. I can't say that I wouldn't get sick of people going, oh, you were on that team that did that thing and be like, okay, well, shut up and let me do my job. Like, yep. and, you know, it happened. That was then leave me alone. And I think all of us would hit that frustration point. And yep. for them to have to do it in front of an audience of millions, I think becomes, you know, yeah. and more that's, so, you know, I'm just going to go all grandpa, grandpa Brandon right here. Um, but you know, that that's, that's why people tell you to protect your integrity, like your whole life. Like it's the kind of thing. It doesn't seem like, you know, okay, whatever, when you're a teenager. And then the next thing you know, you're in some situation in your work life where shenanigans are going on and you're going to end up being associated with it or, or suffer from it one way or the other. Mm-hmm. And, and it's hard, you know, it's hard to step in on, on something like that and, uh, and protest. But um, yeah, when you don't, I don't know, so, you know, it's just, it's, a, those are uncomfortable situations to be in in life. And they rarely, you know, they really present themselves in like a long run up where you get lots of time to like, see what's happening and, and think about it. You know, life comes at you fast in, the, in those circumstances, but uh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Protect your integrity out there, kids. Um, you know, don't do what the Astros did. Um, but you know, this is a giant mega sport worth billions and billions of dollars. And Carlos Correa, you know, if you throw a white ball anywhere near that guy with a stick in his hand, he's a dangerous man. And that's, that's what it <laughs> That's what pays the bills of this thing. So yeah, it's all, it's a, all it comes down to, eh? Make, yeah, I mean, fundamentally, ro- exactly. Fundamentally, rooting for sports is 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 a goofy goofy thing to do. But you know, there's a reason we all love it. You know, there's 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 something about something about games and humans. That's been written about a lot, so you can go look up all those books out there, and maybe um, <laughs> and Ashley and Uncle Brandon will have a, another reading list for you next time, and I'll I'll try to think. Yeah, about it. I think we'll actually start doing that. Um, we talked about that because we talked for like two hours now, so we're sorry. Yeah, exactly. I'll uh, bring up some uh, some game theory, some game theory favorites of mine. Next but um, we've both been reading quite a lot. I think now that the off season has struck us, like I'm reading like four books a week right now. Yeah, um, I've got a so. rotation going, but I haven't finished a single book. <laughs> 
<laughs> I've yeah. given up TV in the evenings, which is, I think, been the key. So I read quite extensively in the evenings now um, and can whip through quite a few. I've read a lot of real duds, though, let me right. tell you, in yeah. the past couple weeks. Um, a lot of not great books. But yeah, next, starting next week or whenever we record next, we'll give you guys a reading list as we go of <laughs> what's been good. Yeah, we'll uh, start doing the thing at the end of the, the podcast here where we just... Uh do what we, yeah. we're doing right now where we just start to ramble about books and movies um we'll, yeah. we'll have to we'll have to get a, a dune conversation in there and talk space witches and sandworms and um Fucking space witches man maybe a little last night in soho i haven't so. seen it yet i am gonna go see the eternals on wednesday though so um we'll see how that yeah are you, you're not like a marvel cinematic guy you don't care about those superhero things no i mean i saw all those um and they were pretty good um but you know i it was like it was Iron Man and, and Robert Downey Jr. that got me in there. Like if, if it had only been like the Thor movies or something else, I, I probably wouldn't have paid much attention. And I didn't see a single one in the theater. So, yeah, I'm just I'm not I'm not your guy there. I think um, I've seen almost all of them in the theater at this I'm point. Just, yeah. I mean, I don't even have a problem with the MCU either. I'm, I'm more frustrated with like Batman and Spider-Man just constantly like redoing themselves every two or three years here i've, I've yeah. had enough like some somebody pay some writers out there and get, get some of these stories going for the love of god i mean yeah. they could look at authors who haven't had their books optioned just saying yeah try that well, yeah that'd be great It'd yeah my bills yeah and six months from now we'll we'll tell you about ashley's new horror novel which um strikes me as very filmable so yeah maybe that'll be something to look out for or we can actually tell them about the book <laughs> i got a deal on that would have been fine we'll talk about that next time yeah all righty um we'll wrap it up now and try to get back at you guys soon um i've got a couple couple other writers from the national media that i've been chatting with a little bit and maybe try to talk to some of those guys so we'll have a, a mix of people coming in and I don't know. We'll just see how it goes because I didn't expect Tucker Bernhardt like immediately. And mm -hmm. now we have the CBA and the possible lockout, you know, in less than a month. And it's like, is everything going to happen now or is nothing going to happen now? And then we'll all have to wait till March or God knows when, when this all happens. So yeah, it's going to be an inter interesting off season. So uh, we'll probably have plenty to talk about. So thanks a lot for joining us and we will catch you all next time. Thanks a lot. Have a good night. Bye. Bye.